0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November twenty-third, two 2010. The Tax Credit Tuesday podcast is presented by Novogratik Company, LLP, a national accounting and consulting firm. Check us out on the web at www.novaco.com. Today, I'm going to discuss the prospects of passage of tax extenders legislation during the current lame-duck session of Congress. Then, I'm going to reflect on the likelihood that federal tax expenditures will will receive heightened scrutiny in the coming months. Then, in our Low-Income Housing Tax Credit discussion, I'll review a policy brief entitled Long-Term Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Policy Questions – The brief was published last week by the Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard University. In Renewable Energy Matters, I'll summarize a policy paper that suggests a number of policy proposals related to Renewable Energy Tax Credits. The paper was co-written by the Center for American Progress and the Coalition for Green Capital. In Historic Tax Credit news, I'll show the latest news from Missouri, as well as a new private letter ruling related to Historic Tax Credits, The ruling was released earlier this month. And finally, in New Market Tax Credit news, I'll discuss a working paper that was released last week by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. The paper examines the performance of the New Market's tax credit program during the recession. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general tax credit news, last week, Congress reconvened, they held several votes, They elected party leaders for the next Congress, and then they started their Thanksgiving recess. As such, Congress is in recess this week. Next week, however, will be a very busy week for members of Congress. The week will start on Monday, November 29th, when they return. Then on Tuesday, November 30th, President Obama will be meeting with Democratic and Republican leaders of the House and the Senate a meeting that's quixotically being called the Slurpee Summit. One key topic of discussion will certainly be the extension of the 2001-2003 tax cuts. Also on Tuesday, November 30th, the extension of unemployment insurance expires. November 30th is also the first of two days of meetings of the National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform. Their report technically speaking, is due the second day of their meeting or Wednesday, December 1st. Most believe that the Commission will not have any proposals that garner the required supermajority of 14 of 18 members. As such, there's an expectation that the co-chairs will release their own report. Then, next week, the week will close on Friday, December 3rd with the expiration of the continuing resolution that was passed before Congress recessed for elections. The government would shut down if the continued resolution is not extended or unless all 12 appropriations bills were to pass. Most don't expect their appropriations bill to pass next week, and as a consequence, there's an expectation that the continued resolution will be extended until early next year. So what does all this mean with respect to tax extenders? Well, when Congress does resume business next week, and after the Slurpee Summit, it's certainly expected that Bush tax cuts will be a main focus. Many believe that the passage of tax extenders will depend on the passage of the Bush tax cuts, or the 2001-2003 tax cuts. Now, if Congress were not to pass the uh, tax cuts or the extension of the tax cuts by the end of this year, then withholding tables would rise uh, beginning next year, and as a consequence, even if the Bush tax cuts were extended next year, For a period of time in January, until they were extended, there would be higher withholding and lower take-home pay for a number of Americans. There's also discussion of the tax extenders being not just one year, but two years, once again with the 2001-2003 tax cuts being the principal vehicle. In addition to those two tax items, the extenders and the tax cuts, there's also the alternative minimum tax and the estate tax to be dealt with. Many believe that the alternative minimum tax needs to be dealt with by the middle of December to give the IRS time to update their computer systems for tax returns that will start being filed in early 2011. I would also note that Senator Evan Bayh believes that members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, often need immovable deadlines in order to get things done. And when he looked out through December, he saw December 25th as one of those immovable deadlines, which made him say that the December 21st, 22nd is probably the most likely time when some sort of tax deal would be cut. So please stay tuned, and we'll keep you updated through tweets on Twitter and future podcasts. And also, for those of our listeners that are attending our Low Income Housing Tax Credit Conference in Las Vegas next week, I'll be providing an update on the chances of extended legislation passing during the Washington Wire session on Thursday morning. The discussion of tax extenders does bring me to a related topic. It's highly likely that tax credit programs will be under great scrutiny as Congress looks for ways to rein in spending and further reduce the deficit. As we discussed last week, the President's Fiscal Commission released a draft that proposed recommendations, and those recommendations considered eliminating all tax expenditures including the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit, New Markets Tax Credit, Historic Tax Credit, and Renewable Energy Tax Credits. Many initial responses to the draft proposals were negative, but not all lawmakers opposed the proposals. Further, on November 16, Ways and Means Ranking Member Dave Camp delivered a speech before the Tax Council. That speech included remarks on tax reform. In his speech, Congressman Camp who is widely expected to chair the powerful Tax-Writing House Ways and Means Committee next Congress, said that the country needs a comprehensive reform of the tax code. Congressman Cap called it an important part of deficit reduction. He further criticized those who he said have used the tax code to benefit particular industries or activities at the expense of economic efficiency, simplicity, and fairness. Congressman Camp emphasized that the Internal Revenue Code should not be a tool of industrial policy. In light of the Fiscal Commission's draft report and comments like these from Congressman Camp, it's going to be important that the affordable housing and community development communities distinguish their new markets tax credit, long income housing tax credit, and other similar programs as programs that aid those in need with corollary economic benefits, including job creation and spurring economic activity, so they're not dismissed or condemned as industrial policy. To read about how you can help in the effort to support these important programs, I encourage you to pick up a copy of December's Journal of Tax Credits. Buzz Robert's column, The Buzz, describes the current climate for tax credits and how the housing and development communities can rally to their defense. On a related note, Senator Grassley, who's currently the ranking member on the Senate Finance Committee, recently questioned the benefits of Build America Bonds. Specifically, last week, Senator Grassley asked the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, to conduct an analysis of who benefits from the federal Build America Bonds program. He asked the GAO to account for how tax dollars are used, which parts of the country benefit from this program, and whether these bonds are any more or less effective than traditional municipal bonds. Senator Grassley's inquiry comes as Congress faces whether to renew the program. Senator Grassley has four main concerns about Build America Bonds. First, he believes that a substantial portion of the taxpayer money that funds the program goes to Wall Street bank fees rather than to infrastructure projects. Second, he says that states and local governments that have been less fiscally responsible and therefore have a poor credit rating are reportedly getting a larger federal check than states and local governments that have been more fiscally responsible and therefore have a better credit rating. Third, it's been reported that about one-third of the money for projects is flowing to California and New York. This report prompted a quip that the Build America bonds are really Build California bonds and Build New York bonds. And fourth, Senator Grassley argues that the program increases the size of the federal government. In a Basel III update, as I mentioned briefly last week, the Group of 20, or G20, approved a new update to the Basel Accords, commonly referred to as Basel III. The approval came during their meetings on November 11th and 12th. The rules will be phased in over eight years, so the full extent of their impact remains unclear. Generally speaking the updated regulations are not expected to have a significant impact on American banks. That said, Barclays Capital does believe that U.S. banks may be short over $100 billion in capital, 90% of that shortage coming from the top six banks in the United States. Further, as we told you in September, there are a few ways that the new rules could more directly impact tax credit demand. First, under the new rules, tax assets will no longer be Tier 1 capital, which will make rolling a tax credit forward more expensive. This could potentially limit the marketplace and and result in diminished demand for tax credits, particularly, obviously, for institutions that can't use the tax credits immediately. Second, there are concerns that the cost of letter of credit and renewals could increase by as much as 100 basis points, which would affect the liquidity of taxes and bond debt. Third, because banks are now required to hold a higher percentage of their overall asset base in lower-yielding, lower-risk, highly-liquid assets, they'll need an even greater return on their higher-return investments. And this could cause borrowing costs in general to rise, but particularly the cost of real estate and corporate lending. In low-income housing tax credit news, on November 12th, the Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard University published a policy brief called Long-Term long income Housing Tax Credit Policy Questions. The paper has three parts. First, there's a discussion of low-income housing tax credit policy issues, included pro- including program targeting. Second, there's an examination of current issues surrounding tax credit investment demand. And third, there's a brief discussion of ongoing capital needs and asset management for long income housing tax credit properties. The paper draws on existing analyses and a series of interviews with low-income housing tax credit industry practitioners, including the National Council of State Housing Agencies and several of its members. The report discusses issues facing the low-income housing tax credit program beyond the immediate problems engendered by the financial crisis. In the brief, the Joint Center concludes that the low housing tax credit is widely regarded as a successful and resilient program. Nonetheless, the authors do warn that there are a number of long-term issues facing the program. For example, there remain differences of opinion about whether the federal tax expenditures devoted to low-income housing tax credits. Are targeted deeply enough and are flexible enough to create mixed income developments and should be directed to pursuing spatial goals. In addition, the brief notes that interest persists in finding ways to make the Long Housing Tax Credit Program work more easily with other federal housing programs. The Joint Center also remarks on questions about the nature of the investor base, particularly for the Long Housing Tax Credit and questions about how best to transition and recapitalize expiring use properties. The authors say the brief is not intended to be an exhaustive review and that further analysis would be required before having sufficient information to act on any of the issues. You can find a copy of the paper online at www.jchs.harvard.edu. Please send me an email to michael.novogradic at novoco.com with any thoughts you have on the brief. Moving on to Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week, the Center for American Progress released a paper titled, Cutting the Cost of Clean Energy. The group describes the paper as a policy roadmap for a national energy reform plan. It was co-written with the Coalition for Green Capital. The paper suggests a number of policy proposals, including several related to Renewable Energy Tax Credits. The Center proposes extending the Section 1603 Renewable Energy Tax Credit Cash Grant Exchange Program and the Section 48 CAP C Manufacturing Tax Credit. The authors of the report note that the Section 1603 program requires grantees to meet certain benchmarks that many qualifying companies will not be able to meet. As such, the paper suggests a two year extension of the grant program through the end of 2012. This would allow developers to obtain the requisite capital and build clean energy projects that otherwise might not proceed. The paper also recommends adding an additional $5 billion in Section 48 Cap-C tax credits for qualifying advanced energy manufacturing projects. The authors say that without the support for the U.S. manufacturing industry, we'll likely see continued migration of quality manufacturing jobs outside of our borders. The Center also recommends extending and expanding both the Investment Tax Credit and the Production Tax Credit through 2021. The paper recommends that both the ITC and PTC be extended through 2021 for all clean energy projects and that the ITC be expanded to cover offshore wind facilities, renewable energy integration, energy storage on a technology-neutral basis, and alternative fuels. The Center says that a long-term expansion and extension of these credits would provide certainty for investors over a meaningful time horizon and would allow clean energy projects to attract needed capital. The paper also discusses changes that could be made to these tax incentives to help ensure that project developers can fully use the applicable tax incentives. For instance, the Center suggests allowing master limited partnership structures to be used for clean power generation. Master Limited Partnerships enable tax incentives to be used in a way that enables project developers to obtain cheaper equity financing, thereby lowering the overall cost of capital for clean energy projects. Currently, fossil fuels can use this structure, while clean energy cannot. The paper recommends that the Internal Revenue Code be amended to provide the same tax treatment to clean energy projects that is provided to fossil fuel projects. The authors also suggest making clean energy tax credits refundable. If the ITC and the PTC were made refundable, it would create a strong incentive and help ensure that investors and small businesses can realize the benefits of such credits. The Center also recommends providing bond financing for clean energy projects. States are struggling with tight budgets and allowing states and local governments to issue Build America bonds to finance clean energy projects and exempting these from the statewide volume cap would expand the amount of low-cost private capital available for clean energy projects and hasten their development. A copy of the Center for American Progress's policy paper can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions regarding their proposals, please contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, at 415-356-8000. In historic tax credit news, Last week, the Internal Revenue Service published a private letter ruling, 2010 45 And for those of you that have wondered how private letter rulings get their numbering, the first four letters are the year the ruling was released, 2010. The next two, 45, are the week that the ruling was released. And then the last three are what number that ruling was released during that week. So 2010 45 Means it was released the 13th or the 13th ruling released of the 45th week in the year 2010. On to the ruling, the private letter ruling involves a special rule for specified credits under Section 38. Specifically, the private letter ruling addresses a request by a taxpayer that it would be allowed to carry back unused rehabilitation tax credits. Novogratz Company is going to discuss the ruling in an upcoming issue of the Journal of Tax Credits. And if you're interested in looking at the ruling in the meantime, go online to www.historictaxcredits.com. You can also contact my partner, Tom Bosha, if you have any questions about the ruling. Tom's in our Cleveland office, and his number is 216 298 9000. Turning to Missouri, the St. Louis Post Dispatch reported last week that the Missouri Tax Credit Review Commission voted on November 17th to cut yes, to cut the state historic tax credit's annual cap from $140 million a year to only $75 million a year. The commission also agreed to recommend to Governor Jay Nixon that a ban be placed on stacking historic credits with the state's low-income housing tax credit. The two tax credits, as many of our listeners knows, are used together frequently. The post-dispatch reports The Missouri's Historic Tax Credit is the biggest in the nation, and Missouri State Senator Matt Bartle asserts that even if the Historic Tax Credit is limited to $75 million, it would still be the most generous in the nation. The Commission plans to present its recommendations to Governor Jay Nixon this week. The Governor is then expected to use them as a guide to proposing reforms to the tax credit system to lawmakers in the spring legislative session. And lastly... The Advisory Council on Historic Preservation is scheduled to meet next week on December 2nd. That's a Thursday. The Council was established by the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966 and it advises the President and Congress on National Historic Preservation Policy. Now the Council members are quite an extensive list. The architect of the Capitol, numerous Secretaries, namely the Secretaries of the Interior, Agriculture, Defense, Housing, and Urban Development, Commerce, Education, Veterans Affairs, and Transportation. The Council members also include the Administrator of the General Services Administration, the Chairman of the National Trust for Historic Preservation, the President of the National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers, and it includes a Governor, a Mayor, a Native American, and eight non-Federal members appointed by the President. The meetings of the ACHP are open to the public. You can find a copy of the agenda for the meeting and information about where it will be held in the November 22nd Federal Register. Moving to new market tax credit news, in a new working paper released last week by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, author Kevin Leichner examines the performance of the new market tax credit program during the recession. The Working Paper also provides recommendations for maintaining deal flow to support the New Market Tax Credit Pipeline and overcome financing gaps. According to the Work Paper, NMTC stakeholders report that their NMTC portfolios are actually outperforming other investments. At the same time, however, the Working Paper does indicate that investor demand for the tax credits has been falling, resulting in lower investor pay-ins and reduced impact in low-income communities. This is a conclusion that most of our listeners won't be too surprised with as they're sensing it and feeling it and seeing it in the markets today. The paper reports that among community development entities that participated in the New Market Tax Credit Program in the past, interest in the 2010 allocation round has been less. The author suggests that this decline in interest could result in an oversupply of credits and a further decline in their value. The paper also notes that Congress and the Treasury Department have begun a formal evaluation to determine how to boost demand and correct this imbalance. In Part 3 of the working paper, the author offers recommendations for improvements to the New Market Tax Credit program. The most important recommendation, according to the author, is that Congress permanently authorize the New Market Tax Credit. The perennial uncertainty that surrounds the program's renewal reduces the supply of potential investors and is a contributing factor potentially, in the declining value of the credits. The author also suggests that Congress should also consider additional measures that would boost the supply of eligible investments and investor demand for New Market Tax Credits, such as allowing New Market Tax Credits to offset the alternative minimum tax. A working copy of the paper can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. In addition, the New Market Tax Credit Working Group that's headed up by Brad Elphick in Novogratz's Georgia office, is now embarking on an effort to help expand the effective yield method of accounting to cover new market tax credits. If you're interested in learning more about that effort, please give Brad a call in our Atlanta, Georgia office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving and have a happy week. Next week, I'll be headed to Las Vegas for the Novogratix Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Developers Conference. I'll be presenting a Washington Wire segment, updating conference attendees on the status of extenders legislation, as well as providing an outlook to what to expect from Congress early next year. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. During the week, I encourage you to follow along as I'll tweet breaking news. This is Michael Novogratik. I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.